0: And they can start the party at Scotland. That's a brilliant goal
1: from Gary Jones. And Henderson...
2: Hello and welcome to the Rochdale AFC.com podcast. My name is Dean and I'm joined as always by Luke, Ryan and Chaff. How are we doing boys? Yeah, good. Thanks, Pat. Good, bad, thanks. good stuff. So we've got a couple of daily games to chat through. Uh, the winner at Barrow in the league uh, and a 1-1 draw with Nuts County in the FA Cup. And then we're going to take some questions from the listeners from Twitter and Facebook and the forum as well. So Luke, we'll start with that win at Barrow. I wasn't there, Percy, but I know you were... Um, it was a great three points on the road, but I, I guess the question at the moment is, why do we look better away from home than we do at Scotland at the moment?
1: Yeah, it was a good win. Um, I think kind of the go-to for me is probably the formation and, and the way we set up. Um, I think five at the back kind of gives us that that foundation away from home, and because, because there probably isn't that gulf of difference of quality in the league... Um, where probably anyone fancies beating anyone, especially when they're at home, um, the onus is on the home team to attack tackles and that probably kind of plays into our hands to a certain extent because it's going to free up space in, in other areas of the pitch. Um, whereas when we're at home with a back five, teams are quite, quite content to sit off us um, a little bit and I think in turn, that condenses the middle of the pitch. So our ball players that you want on the ball, the likes of Kelly and the likes of Morley, find it more difficult. Um and you know, as a result of that, the likes of Graham and the likes of Dorset have a hell of a lot more of the ball, but they're not comfortable with it. They're not great with kind of carrying the ball out of defense or or kind of passing the ball between the lines into midfield. And it, it kind of slows us down and and you know the teams are kind of set up well against us. So for me it's it's formation. Um the the kind of you know to counteract that do you have an away formation and do you have a home formation? I'm not sure how many teams really do that because, you know, momentum is a massive thing, isn't it? And, you know, chopping and changing, you know, dependent on kind of whether you're at home or, or not. I, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'm not sure. It's an option, obviously, but yeah, it's tricky.
2: Yeah. I think especially with such a young squad, it's hard to be changing the formation too much, which is a point I've seen quite a few people make since Sunday. Um and it sounded like Dale started the better of the two teams at Barrow. And I, I guess it's, it's a strange one because to me, we always seem to start brightly for the first few minutes of every game we play. But then it seems to um, fade away quite quickly, doesn't it? I don't know if that was the case last Saturday. Um, but what, how can we start, you know, making those bright starts last a bit longer so that we can kind of dominate possession for, for longer periods and dominate the games, I suppose? Yeah, it's
0: a tough one really. We did start really well, I think first half. I thought we were excellent. Um, we looked dangerous every time we got the ball. Um, the amount of time and space that the likes of Udu and Ke Oaynard on the left hand side and O'Keefe and Newby on the other. Um we just we created openings over time, but we're not we're not putting the ball in the net enough. I, I know we did on that day, you know, but Beasley could, perhaps should have had an hat-trick in that first half. They missed a header from about two or three yards. He missed a one-on-one just before he scored and, if we're totally honest, made a bit of a mess of his goal. Um, we're fortunate. So I think that's hampering us because if you get an early goal or two when you're on top, there's probably times this season we'd have blown teams away. But when you're only one nil up at half-time and it gets a little bit nervy and, and you let teams back in, um, I think that's what's happening. But I think we, we've we not got enough quality around the pitch, I don't think, to be able to keep the ball and manage games well enough. I think we saw that. I know we're talking about Barrow now, but it was similar then, um, albeit on a worse pitch. But we saw that against Knox County, I think, in that you give any of a wide centre-back to ball, and I include Taylor in this, who's not been in the team recently, they're not very good on it and they're either too slow or they just give it away. I think there's times that our two wide forwards are sloppy on the ball. Um, Udo and, whether it's Nubie or Cashman, I think Beasley's relatively poor on the ball at times. So I, think, I don't think we've got the quality to keep the ball for 90 minutes. There's not many teams in this division have, obviously, but I think... I think it's a mix between not taking chances and not having quality on the ball. I think the reason we're probably better away from home is because we don't need as much of it. Um, We can sit back and hit teams on a counter-attack, like we did in the second half at Barrow. I thought we were quite poor, but but hit him on a counter-attack a few times and looked dangerous without scoring, apart from that that good goal we scored. Um, But yeah, it worries me slightly, to be honest. Um, but we did enough that day, and, and we got three points, and it turned out a good three points as any away win is.
2: Yeah, traffic like um, Rice touched on there. Beasley, there was a couple of missed chances in that game. A couple of goals, though, of course, which we've got to, we've got to praise him for. It's just frustrating, isn't it? Because we we can all see what a, what an important player he is, but if he was consistent with that finishing, and again, it it, it was a key part of the game on Sunday against Knox County because he missed a, a gilt-edged chance in that game. You know, if he could find that consistency of front of a goal, you'd be excited to see us pushing towards the high reach to the league, wouldn't you? I think if he had more consistency, he probably wouldn't be
3: with us because um, I think his all-round game is really good. I think he brings players into the game. Um, I think he works his bollocks off every single week. And he gets the chances. His positional plays, I think, really good. Um, and, I mean, it's not like he's he's had a, a poor season or anything like that. I mean, he's got, I think it's, well, looking at that, six goals in 17 games. So if you sort of ratio that out over the season, he's probably on course for about 15 goals this season. You'd, you'd have took that before the season started from him, I, I reckon. So it's not a disaster, but it... It is frustrating seeing him miss really good opportunities. Um I didn't go to the barrow game. Um so I'll I'll take rise word for the for the chances that he that he missed. Um but he missed a, a, a great chance at home to County, didn't he? Um but overall I think he's very good. Um if we did get a bit more consistency out of him and turned him from a... what? 12 to 15 goal a season striker into a 20 goal a season striker, then we would be further up the table. There's no doubt about that. Um, we've probably got to get more from the likes of Udo as well to to support him and take the, the pressure off him a little bit. Um, and I'd I'd, I'd, do, I'd say the same for newbie Cashman, any of the attacking options that we've got. Um, I think there's an awful lot of pressure on, on Jake Beasley to... To produce goals. And I think if other people were scoring goals on a more regular basis, um then we won't be we probably wouldn't be having this conversation about his consistency as, as as much as what we are. I think I agree with a lot of what
0: chaff said there. But there's no doubt about the people either side of him and the midfielders need to chip in more. I think the point on his goal to game ratios a valid one, but You think of the amount of chances he's had. Um, You know, he's he's had obviously more than 17 chances. He's probably had two or three a game on average. Good chances, though, and only scored six. It's getting to a point now. Look, I love him to bits. I love his work rate. I love what he brings to the team. I actually don't think his hold up players have been that great this season, but you can never doubt his willingness to work. But there's got to come a time where he's got to start producing. And I know he did against Barrow, he scored two goals, I get that. But he's got to be getting more goals um, and he's got to be finishing more chances or else you you sort of wonder where, what he's going to bring and is he, is he going to win us enough points? It's tough because I really want him to do well. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm questioning it a bit now for the first time since he joined the club, I think.
2: Yeah, I think that's a a good point and one that I hadn't really considered. There's been some games where he hasn't really had any chances at all, though, as well. I mean, Oldham and and, uh, Crawley are the two that stand out for me, um, where he he just got no kind of service whatsoever. Um, But in terms of the stats, we rank really highly for um, touches in the opposition box, chances created, stuff like that. So at that point, you have got to wonder, should we be scoring more goals if we're creating those chances, as the stats say? um look udu has been mentioned a couple of times there already um he he was man of the match as well wasn't he on sunday against Knox county all the sponsors man of the match at least but again it seems from what i read about the Barrow game he looked dangerous and, and, and got us on the front foot but the 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 end product was lacking once again um which is a worry isn't it
1: yeah i mean again when you look at players and i think it's well known isn't it like um when people talk about a lot of like kind of players that end up in the lower leagues. they can at times show that kind of brilliance that, and you, you kind of question why you're not playing at a higher level, but um, it's uh, a lot of it's to do with consistency, isn't it? So, and I think you do, you know, it's not, this is probably his first proper full season as a, as a first teamer in, in, in the football league. He's he's relatively youngish, um, and I just hope that he can add a final product to to his game really because he's got ability. I think he's got really good kind of close control when he's running with the ball. Um, the ball stays kind of glued to his feet, which is which is a definite quality. Um, it works really hard for the team, um, but there's just no quality there or. I don't know if it's quality or confidence when it comes to his own finishing um or kind of end product, but um if we can crack that, if we can get that out of him, he'll be he'll be a star for us, I think, because he's he is showing glimpses of, of of brilliance for us. But like Rye said, he said earlier around newbie and dude kind of being quite wasteful in possession and a bit careless, he's got a bit of that to his game as well, and he he's one of them who really needs to he finds consistency which might come naturally because you know this is where he's building his experience now um we'll have a right player on our hands rather than someone who's just you know, really knowing what you're going to get from him
2: yeah chaff one of the other sort of key points to come out of the Barrow game from what I could tell was a good performance from both of the midfielders uh, Aaron Morley and Liam Kelly do you think They're starting to look settled as a partnership now. It seems like they're definitely both um, Stockdale's first choice midfielders at the moment. Yeah, it it does look like it, doesn't it?
3: Um, Liam Kelly is an outstanding footballer. Um, Aside from O'Connell, he's probably the best player in our squad for me. I think he's absolutely brilliant. He's not been in the first team that long. He's chipping in with goals, he's chipping in with assists... He is what I want and expected Morley to be. Um, And yeah, as as much as we've criticised Aaron Morley a little bit, um, he's performing a lot better than what he was at the start of the season and what he was for large parts of last season as well. Um, I do want to see a bit more from him. I want to see him chip in with goals. I want to see him chip in with, with assists. I know he tops all the the passing stats, um, etc., which is good, but he also costs us goals in, in key areas as well. Um, there's probably four or five goals that you could probably pinpoint to being down to him. Um, and he's in wanting too much time on the ball and being a bit sloppy in possession, but in, they do seem to be settling down together as a, as a midfield duo. Um, and a, yeah, I'm. I'm that's the that'd be my preferred duo as well. Um, I'd choose Marley over Dooley, for example, and I'd choose either of them over Broadbent because I've seen nothing from Broadbent to, to suggest that he warrants a place in the side at the moment. Um, and yeah, Liam Kelly's made a massive difference to our midfield. I think.
2: Well, right, and one last point on the Barrow game um, for those of us who weren't there. Could you kind of talk us through what was happening with the Henry Hoover stuff? I mean, It must have been bizarre for the game to be kicking off half an hour later than every other match. I was keeping on top of it from afar and not really understanding what was going on. So could you fill us in?
0: No, I was in a similar boat to you, to be honest. I, I get notifications through from Twitter and we were about, well, we should have been about 15 minutes away, but we forgot to turn off. So we ended up being about 45 minutes away. but. I got that text notification through saying pitch inspection at two o'clock and we were just like, we were fizzing. Um, And then we got closer and closer to Barrow, the football ground, and it said pitch inspection at 2.30. The drive to the ground as you go through Ulverston and it was just like the farmer's fields were all just waterlogged and it was all underwater. And me me and my dad were basically just like, should we turn around now? Because we just thought there was absolutely no chance this is going to be on. Um, so, yeah, a bit, bit panicky, a bit nervy. But then we, we got the text through at, you know, 25 to three, saying that it were kicking off at half three and got there. And to be honest, it were a bit bobbling places, but there didn't seem to be anything wrong with the pitch whatsoever. So I don't know what all the fuss was about. It seemed to play all right. It looked a bit heavy. Um, like I said, a bit bobbly. But, yeah, luckily it was OK. And to be honest, a bit too OK because I couldn't see through half of it because of the sun.
2: Well, uh, an interesting one it's not often uh, you find yourself waiting an extra half an hour for the score to come through when you're not in the game so uh.
0: it's unbelievable because you can only think that people must have known what the weather had been like and like I said as you drove through and it were all underwater do your pitch inspection at 11 o'clock right? Like, you know a bit of common sense um, so yeah the 2 the two o'clock thing with Barmy because it wasn't even raining so I, I didn't really understand that but we got there in the end
1: because there was, um, it was just two parts of the pitch that were knackered. So like, the rest of the pitch, I think, was in really good, like decent condition. But when I got there, um, they were kind of brushing up water. They had the hoover out on it. They had like um, one of them like leaves, like blowers, like kind of on it. And I'm thinking, what, this is so amateur this. But it was just because there was just two areas of the pitch that were just knackered. And the referee was like... Well, when I got the story, we were throwing the ball up in the air, as they do, and it was just pretty much like dropping dead, no bounce in in that part. So it was just those like two little small areas of the pitch that were they were kind of really um,
2: working on. Well, I'm glad in the end they managed to get the game on, I'm sure. Stockdale and the lads are as well after managing to pick up three points. But they couldn't carry any momentum into Sunday's FA Cup game. Jeff, it was a disappointing performance a disappointing result to draw on to a non league side but are you like me do you think that the reaction has been slightly overstated because personally i don't think there's a massive gap between league 2 and the national league i thought notts county played well i think a draw was a fair result i don't think we played brilliantly obviously but i don't think it was anywhere near as bad as the as the aforementioned uh, crawley and oldham games what was your take on kind of the reaction to What was obviously not a good result for us?
3: I agree with every word you just said there, pretty much. Um, I think it has been a bit overstated. I think people think that we've got a divine right to beat teams from lower divisions. Uh, And you're right, there's not much difference between the National League and League Two, I don't think. Um, We saw last season... We, we got embarrassed by Stockport County at home last season. Um, we have no right to win any game of football, really. And I think it weren't a great performance. It was a very even game. If you look at the stats, the stats are very even, I think. Um, it wasn't brilliant. They're, they're more up for it. They've got a loud bunch of support. They're in the away end, Um cheering them on and it's a, it's, it's one way it's, it's a, your typical FA Cup game isn't it um, against lower league opposition anything can happen FC United is the your prime example Stockport Forest Green Rovers we've seen it all before anything can happen in this first round of the FA Cup and I do think a, a lot has been made of it that didn't really need to be I think people are overanalyzing it a little bit and there are a couple of players in that Knox County side that that I thought, do you know what? There should be football leagues, they should be football league players. Um I thought Joel Taylor, for example, ex Rochdale, he was I thought he was outstanding. And I'd be lo- having a look at him as well if we if we need another left back at any point. But we're in the app. um we've already mentioned it, we do seem to be better away from home than we are at home. So I'd I'd absolutely back us to go into the the replay. And, and pick up a win um, and, and and hopefully we can do that plus it gives the away support a chance to go down to Hooters
2: <laughs> which I'm sure a few of them will be we doing um, I think one point before we move on from that what I would say is when you mentioned kind of the Forest Greens, Stockports and our Nuts counties these teams that we failed to be, but we've had our fair share of being on the other side of that coin in recent years haven't we so Whenever we're overreacting to these kind of results, I think we have to put it into the context of, like you say, it's the FA Cup and anything can happen. And we've seen that by getting draws with Tottenham, Newcastle beating Leeds and and Nottingham Forest over the last few years. So it's kind of the magic of the Cup. It's just not nice when you're sort of on the other side of it, I suppose. Um, Ryan, I think one of the things that really was frustrating on Sunday was the lack of um, substitutes, the lack of a change of plan from Stockdale. I've noticed you tweeted about it actually after the game. Um, and again, I think there was a criticism towards him for kind of a lack of reaction from him on the touch side. Do you think that's fed into this frustration that people are feeling after that result?
0: Possibly. I think there's a lot more than that. But I thought Saturday, regardless, uh, Sunday, regardless of who we were playing, even if we were in League Two and it was a league game, I thought it was dull. I thought we were boring. We didn't take the game to him. And it's becoming a bit of a theme that I think at home now. I'm I'm sort of finding myself on a Saturday morning, sort of we're at home again. Um, It's just it's becoming that. But I think, yeah, I thought just change something, and I sort of saw him call Connor Grant back, and you just I just turned to my dad and said this will be like for like, and it was brought Dooley off for him. Two pretty similar players. Um arguably two centre midfielders going playing on a wing um, and yeah they were just nothing It were crying out they were offering very little in the second half He caught us on the counter a couple of times but I thought go to a back four do something um, didn't do we had all the ball and he kept the two centre halves who honestly I don't think I can I don't want to rant about it again but we're just terrible on the football um, when we needed players who could get the ball for us and take, the, you know, game by the scuffer of the neck and do something, and you could tell some of the players, you know, Owen O'Connor was a prime example of frustration. Um, he was trying to do it all himself, and to be honest, I don't blame him because he's our centre back, our best centre back, our captain, our best footballer, and almost our best attacker on Sunday. Um, which which shouldn't happen. Um. And, yeah, the, the lack of anything on my touchline is, is frustrating. I, I sit right behind him and there's just nothing. Um, and, you know, there's occasionally a shout from a crowd and he turns around and laughs at it. And that's about as much as you get. And it's just, you, I think in a game like, and I liked BBM, everyone knows that, but you could always hear him. When we were watching an iPhone, follow the only voice you ever heard was BBM on the sideline shouting, you don't get that with Stockdale and and whilst I know every manager's different, you know, you see the best manager in the world are rarely up off a seat but I just, even just just show you're trying to do something, just anything really and to not use all the subs was was criminal, I think, and probably cost us the win.
2: Luke, the one sub that was made in the game was was Dooley off four grand, uh, like Ryan said, kind of like for like at the time. I thought Dooley, I mean, I, I made my feelings kind of clear on him in the past. I think he's done Okay, in midfield so far this season, but on the wing, I just feel like he might as well not be there. And I thought he was really un- ineffectual again on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I mean,
2: yeah, he he didn't do much. Um, I think he's
1: kind of, I think he's actually rather than been okay. I I personally think he's been pretty good this season in in a more central position. But um, again, yeah, on the on on the wing. It's kind of yeah, yeah. It's, that's not his position, is it? Um, I know, like in those positions within the formation that we've played, they're not necessarily out and out wingers. Um, they kind of they, they position themselves inside quite a lot, don't they? But if we're not finding them uh, in between the lines with those forward passes, I think it starts. It starts from the goalkeeper into the defence. And if we're not finding those passes to move through the midfield, it can sometimes mean that the likes of Udo, Newby, Dooley, if he's playing in that position, they don't see the ball. Um, And yet when we're on it, when we're really on it and we're playing well, that's when we're finding them. Um, So, you know, you look at it and go, well, is it to do with movement? Maybe maybe movement needs to be better. Um, Dooley's obviously been injured a little bit, but I do think it kind of also comes down to what I said earlier, uh, to be fair, kind of teams will sit off us a little bit, allow our non-ball players to have all of the ball and we get stuck in in trying to find our, our kind of ball players as such. Um, and it also then leaves Beasley isolated as well. So the cohesion and balance isn't there at home and um, I think in turn, it probably made Dooley... I wouldn't highlight him as having a bad game necessarily. It was just ineffective... Um, but I wouldn't put that necessarily down to Dooley. You know, I wouldn't put the blame on Dooley. i put the kind of blame as a, as a shared team ownership kind of thing.
2: Um, Chatham, the goal we did concede, we'll get on to the goal we did score in a minute because I know there's a couple of uh, listener questions coming up about Corey O'Keefe, but the goal we did concede again came from a corner and that's another source of frustration for fans, isn't it? That we can't seem to shake this, uh, this inability to defend corners, can we?
3: It is frustrating. I mean, you can take your pick from from three as to who should have dealt with it better. They probably all should have dealt with it better. But Dorset and O'Connell both get out jumped, um, and then Lynch has come for the ball and not got it either. Um, I'd probably argue that if Coleman comes and gets it, it, it don't go in. But it's so frustrating. It's I don't know what the answer is at all. Yeah, I'm a bit lost um, as. as as to a solution, but it that's probably part of why people get so frustrating or frustrated. Sorry, because we see the same types of goals conceded time and time and time again, and we don't seem to have an answer to it. Um, we saw it last season. See, we've, well, we've seen it for the last five or six seasons, haven't we? We've just been terrible at defending set pieces. Um. I don't know what the answer is. It's it's infuriating, is what it is.
2: And, and another source of frustration on Sunday, Rye, was the penalty shout on Connor Grant towards the end. Um, most supporters seemed to think it was a stone wall or what was your view on it at the time?
0: Um, I When it happened live, I sort of, I didn't get excited about it. It looked from where I, it's obviously not the case because I've seen the replay, but from where I was, it looked like a defender got the ball, so I didn't shout at it at all, but with similar reaction afterwards and I think everyone's come out afterwards, Stockdale and O'Keefe as well, and said it's a stonewall. Um, I think Stockdale said it probably is one, so maybe less of a stonewall. But yeah, on a replay, it definitely looks like, like one. But the referee seemed absolutely adamant, didn't he? He put his hands behind his back and just turned away, basically. So it's one of them.
2: Yeah, the, the annoying thing is that if if he did think the defender got a touch on the ball, then it obviously it should have been a corner and, and that yeah. wasn't given. Yeah,
0: that was a confusing thing for me, that it was a goal kick. I don't think that's even a decision there. It's either a penalty, a corner or a free kick for a dive. So, yeah, it's always a frustrating one, that one.
2: Absolutely agree. Um, I must admit, I did think at the time that the defender got a touch on it, I was, I, was, I made a, a rare foray into the Sandy Lane on Sunday and I was directly behind it and it was the faintest of touches, but I did think at the time that he had got a touch Um but again, yeah, in that case, it should have been a corner. So that's the frustrating thing. Um, Luke, one last point before we move on to these to these questions from the listeners. Chaff um, mentioned we've now got to go to Meadow Lane for the replay. Um, that's frustrating as well, isn't it? Because the last thing this young squad needs is is another game, really. And and it's not even a particularly enticing draw if we manage to get through it with Sheffield Wednesday. Or Plymouth, who we are both towards the higher reaches of the league above, uh, coming to Spotland if we manage to get through.
1: Yeah, but you know, you look at the the journey that you know some of the lower league teams have been on that that kind of made it to the first round, and um, you know these are kind of amateur teams who who kind of you know made up of players who, who have full time jobs or or other part time jobs, and they've played six, seven, eight games just to get to the point of where they're at. So. Uh, it's the FA Cup and and you said it before and the beauty of it and um, because of that it's not easy you know it's not easy you don't just kind of get a nice easy first rounder all the time and then you know whiz past the second round get a nice Prem team we've been spoiled in recent years I think it's been it's been good on it it's been good with regards to some of the teams that we've played and um, I look at the team I look at the club and, and like without meaning to go too far away from kind of what you're asking us, like, this is important. Like, it's it's not an appealing tie to go to Notts County away um, and and to try and get a result and, and win to then go into the next round and, and play against, you know, one of Wednesday or Plymouth, who is going to be tough. But this is important to us. Like, I look at the team and, you know, especially now that we are fan-owned, when you look at kind of how we're going to be sustainable and successful, and how we have done over the kind of for our history, we need players to sell, and we need to go on cup runs to enable enable us to do it. And right now, I don't see anyone available to sell. So you know, it's it's a big game for me. Um, it's going to be tough. It's a big game that yeah, they probably could do without. But one thing that we have got this season is a squad. We do have a squad and we do have a bench, you know. We've not seen the best of Connor Grant yet because he's not been able to get a run of games. We're not seeing the likes of Eddie White consistently get a chance. And um, sometimes when the fixtures start piling up, that's when these players are going to be needed. And and Stockdale has referred to that, and it's going to give them their opportunity to make a stake for their position in the team as well. And maybe there might be an element of having to freshen it up and rotate, but. Got some decent players there on the bench, and hopefully it gives them an opportunity. And we can progress. It is going to be tough, but you know
2: that's that's it, isn't it? We've just got to got to give it our best. So there's no excuses. Yeah, especially in a season where I feel like we're not probably not going to be consistent enough to push on for the playoffs, and probably not going to be falling low enough to be dragged into a relegation battle. The cup can bring a bit of excitement, so hopefully that we can see that happen. But. Um, from looking at Plymouth and Sheffield Wednesday's recent results, I can't see us managing to get past either of them, even if we do get past Notts County in the replay. Uh, We'll move on to some of these list of questions and I'll come back to you on this first one, Chaff, um, because we mentioned him a minute ago with that goal that he scored on Sunday. Greg Ingham asks, how likely is it that we will sign Corey O'Keefe in January? Um, You would have to
3: ask the chairman. I would imagine Every effort's being made to turn that deal permanent. The supporters love him. I think he he looks like he loves being here. He's evidently not wanted by Mansfield Town. The fact that he was allowed to play in the cup um, is a probably points to to it being a possibility, potentially even a probability. Um I would I would suggest that we, we we will turn that deal permanent in January. Um I'd be very surprised if we didn't. Um and it'd be a really good signing because I think he's been absolutely outstanding for us overall. I know he's had a couple of games where he's not, where he's struggled a little bit. Um, but he's probably the best attacking fullback slash wing back since Scott Wiseman. Um he's top of our assist chart I think he's got was it four goals in all competitions um, yeah he's been an absolute breath, breath of fresh air and I think part of the part of the reason we probably play the system that we do is to get the best out of him as well um, I don't think if we played four at the back and he was your, your right fullback, I don't think we'd, um, we'd see the attacking intent from him that, that we have done so far. I'd expect him to to sign, I think.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a few of us thought that he had yesterday. I don't know if anyone else fell for that uh, little prank that was played on Twitter, but I know I did. So, uh, I guess, thanks for, to Dominic for that one. Um, a question for you, I Neil asks, why do you think Max Taylor has been left out in the cold. I guess he's kind of been the opposite of Corey O'Keefe in recent weeks in that he's not been involved at all. And yeah, it's it's a bit of a strange one because to me, he didn't look too bad in those early stages of the season.
0: Yeah, I really don't know what that is at all. Um, I don't think he's... I was similar to Luke when Luke talked about him the other week. I've not been overly impressed with him, but he's definitely better than both Graham or Dorset. So I, I unless he's got a knock, I really don't know. I thought he brought the best out in O'Keefe as well early on because he plays the ball quickly and he can fizz a passing as much as he can't defend that well. Or at least, you know, not, not, not the greatest at defending. But yeah, I want to see him in the team. Um, So I, I can't put my finger on why he's been left out at all.
3: I think it must be a, a tactical reason. They must have seen something. Uh, in him that they they want to improve on because I don't know whether any of you went to the Pizza Cup game against Bolton, um, but both Stockdale and Shan, when they were vocal, were, were were not going in. But there was a lot of instruction aimed at Max Taylor in particular, um, and there were ones where he t- I, I I think he turned around and he disagreed with what they'd said. So I'm wondering if that might be it. That's purely me speculating on what, what I saw there but I much much preferred him to to, to Dorset and, and Graham I think he's a better ball player than than the pair of them If that is the case the only way to really improve is by playing games
0: so to leave him out in the cold completely I don't really understand and like you said perhaps he should be berating the other two as well
2: Yeah you'd feel obviously you will have played in midweek against Bolton but You feel like Sunday might have been a good opportunity to get him some minutes against the opposition from a lower division, Um, which it must be so frustrating, especially for him having signed that contract extension, looking like a a member of the squad who's going to play a lot of games to find himself in the position he is, is definitely a strange one. Um, Luke, I'll come to you on this next one from Stig, uh, something that Mighty Dale also asked about on the forum. Uh, do we feel that we will try four at the back at any point this season and try and mix up the style? I, I think it's something we've spoken about a couple of times already, isn't it? I think we were all saying we needed to change to to four at the back, and then we went on a, a little bit of a better run, a form. Um, do you think we'll see see uh, Stockdale mix it up at any point and go with four at the back? I think so. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think we're, we're edging towards getting found
1: out with the back five, especially on on, on the home games. So. Um, putting a four at the back allows us to kind of put an extra, an extra man in, in, in the midfield or um, or even an extra man to get closer to Beasley. Um, but he, he, what I'm thinking is I, my player of, that I was looking most forward to watching this season in the flesh was Connor Grant. Um, and he's not getting a run of games because probably his style and his positioning probably isn't suited towards a position in the team. Um closest one is, is on the kind of wing really. Um but yeah, I think we will. I think the question is is there confidence there that we have a strong enough centre half partner for O'Connell to go into a back four? Because I think we're all share the same opinion on um on kind of the players that we've got in those positions at, at the moment. Um but yeah, I, I do see us doing it and I do then see us basically I see that as an opportunity for Grant to introduce Grant. Um, because he's not he's not showing himself to be an impact player as such. I think he takes time to kind of get into a game and get into his groove. And um, yeah, I, it's just a shame because I was really looking forward to seeing him. And for one reason or another, he's just he's just not been able to have that run of games
2: yet. So um,
1: yeah, I, I think we will do.
2: Yeah, I massively agree on Grant. I just don't think there's any sort of position for him in this this formation, which is. Frustrating again because at the end of last season he looked like one of our standout players and that was something Jacob asked about. He asked about whether there was any way back for Conor Grant in this current formation but he also asked what the ideal front three uh, would be when everyone's fit. I think I can get everyone's opinion on this. I'll come to you, Chaff, first. I'll come to you first, (laughs) Chaff. Which which three would you be going for as your first choice front three out of the, the players we have available at the moment? Jet Beasley, obviously.
3: Um, Alex Newby, and then I'm torn then between Udo and Cashman. Um, whichever one doesn't start comes on after 60 minutes and changes it up.
2: Right, what about you?
3: Um, Beasley, Newby, Udo,
2: and Luke. Same as Chaffany. Yes, same for me. I think the only based on Sunday can't really offer as much there and yeah Grant it just doesn't suit him either which is unfortunate because I think he probably does have the potential to play there it's just that he obviously isn't used to it or it's just the way that we're set up with the ball that's not getting him opportunities to play his game at the moment um but yeah it's 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 a tough one to call I think especially between Udo and Cashman um so, next question, both Oliver and Boromar asked about the January window and which positions are we likely to be signing in January. Chaff, I'll come back to you on this one. I think a couple that have been mentioned a lot recently, isn't there, in, in midfield and up front? Um,
3: yeah, if if it's me doing it, I'm looking at a, a better defence-minded midfielder. Um Somebody who can, somebody who can put a tackle in, somebody who can break up play, um, but also have the ability to to link up midfield and attack as well. Um, for me as well, I think if we had a, a maybe not a more experienced centre half, but just a better centre half option, then we could potentially have more confidence in going with a back four, um, and that might be part of. Dale's thinking if he plays one of the one of Dorset or Graham next to O'Connell, does that give us enough protection? Um, I think that's probably part of his thinking. So an experienced solid centre half to play next to O'Connell and defensive midfielder for me, I think, and, and a striker, a different a better a different striking option to Beasley, somebody who can, somebody who's a finisher, um, not a target man we've got. Two of those, effectively, in Beasley and and Andrews. I'd, I'd want a different option in attack. Somebody we can bring on, um, or just if we go up with a different system, somebody who can offer something different to those two.
2: Yeah, I, one thing I would say is I think our squad's quite large at the moment in terms, well, <laughs> certainly compared to last season. So I think if we were to bring in two or three players, it would probably mean one or two leaving. Um, O'Keefe, we're hoping becomes permanent. Is Dorset also? Is his loan, does his loan expire in January? I know there's one or the other. I, hope I, think, so. I
3: think it's Broadbent who, who goes back in January and Dorset it to the end of the season, I think.
2: Right, so you'd hope that we could replace Broadbent with another, like you say, probably more experienced, more battle-hardened set midfielder. Um, I'm sure people have seen the stat that's been going around on Twitter today that we have the best disciplinary record in the league. I'm not sure that's necessarily a good thing. Uh, I think it makes it a bit of a soft touch, uh, and I think that's definitely been the case in a few games recently. Um, I don't, I'm not sure. I'll come back to you on this one, Chaff. I'm not sure it's one any of us can really answer, to be honest. So it might be one that um, we ask someone from the club when we can get them on in the future. But um, it's about the executive seats from Nick, and he says, "Do we think they're value for money?" Um, I've had a look. Um, I'm, I'm looking at. I think it's fifty-five pound. For the match ticket the, the, the free course meal the, um, the the kind of access to the bar and half time refreshments and stuff I mean it's not personally the way I, I prefer to watch the game but what do you reckon 55 quid is that is that fair value for money for that kind of experience um I've had the meal once
3: um and it was good very good to be fair it's not how I choose to choose to watch the game either to be fair um I don't I don't think I know enough about it. Cause I, yeah, I don't think I know enough about it. I know there's a few people who I've spoken to who've got who've had complaints about what they get in return for, for the prices that they pay. So they evidently don't feel like it's hundred percent value for money. Um so maybe that is something that we that we look into. I think aren't the advertising for a uh, for another commercial member of staff as well at the minute, so that might be something that they can introduce into that. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not sure, but I know I know certain people who don't think it's value for money.
2: Another one that's kind of about off-field matters. I'll come to you, right, um, Dave. Asked, is there any real need for the speakers around the ground to be continually at a level that's actually dangerous for your hearing? Um, I must admit the one thing I enjoyed about my little trip to the Sandy on Sunday was didn't hear anything from the broken PA system in the in the Sandy Lane. That was the the only benefit I could see. Um this is something that gets mentioned a lot, isn't it? Um what what's your thoughts?
0: Um it is loud and it is hard to have a conversation, particularly in the main stand, um, which can get a bit frustrating, but I like the music he plays, so I'm not that fussed. Um, I must say, when I, I I was late, I was a bit late on Sunday, and as you were walking down some, uh, Sandy Lane, um, the, you can hear the mu- music. still so loud as you're outside the stadium. So that's me and my Dad just went. It's going to be loud inside, uh, so it does need turning down. But like I said, I'm not too fussed because I like the music.
2: I think there was one game last season. I can't remember which one it was, but one of the ones that I follow where I don't know whether it was the microphones were too close to the speakers or whatever, but for a minute, it was that loud. I was thinking if I open my window, I'll just be able to hear it from Salford. It was that loud. Um, Yeah, I think he does need to turn them down a little bit. Um, I mean, yeah, the music's good and everything, but it's not the reason you're at the game, is it? And if you're there with mates or family and want to have a chat, then it's not ideal. Um, Getting back onto sort of on-field matters, one for you, Luke. Uh, Dan asked, "Who are the top four finishers at the club?" Now that's a that's a tough one to answer because let's be honest, there aren't many that you you point to when it comes to finishing, are there? Uh, uh,
1: yeah. I mean, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I'm, you know, all right. I'll, you know, I'll. Have to, I think I'll have to go for. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have to go for O'Keefe. <laughs> well, Keith is number one he's stuck his goals really well so far this season so I'm going to yeah O'Keefe number one Um I think it's only fair to go for Beasley although that's part of his game that he needs to improve I can only go for Beasley because he scored the goals that he has done Um and then I would go for sorry I'll go O'Keefe then Kelly Keith then Kelly um Newby and then Beasley
2: I think that's a little bit harsh on Cashman. I think he's taken a couple of his goals quite well. Go on,
0: i am going to say, I actually think Cashman's missed quite a few saves this season, but um, I think Andrews, is, as much as I don't particularly like him, has took his goals, really. The one against Liverpool sticks out as a lovely finish. Um, so I think he's got potential to be up there, but it's worrying when we can't name four, isn't it?
2: Yeah, and all of the ones that we have mentioned there, like Cashman, you said he's missed a few. Beasley... We were talking about him missing a few, so yeah, finishing chances obviously is something we're going to need to improve on uh, in the, the the next few months. Um, Chaff, another on-field one. I think you kind of answered it before a little bit, but Matt G asked, uh, Lynch or Coleman?
3: Coleman. Simple as that? Sim- sim- simple as that for me. I've been impressed with Coleman. Um, I don't actually think Lynch has done much wrong, um, I will say that. Um, I thought he was outstanding against Burnley in the Carabao Cup. Um, easily the best his best performance. I know we shipped him four goals, but it would have been an absolute cricket score had did not been for him. Um, and I think his general handling is very, very good. He doesn't seem to spill very much. I think his distribution is very good as well. But if a cross is coming in, I want Coleman taking it and not Lynch. Um, I just think Coleman's just just slightly better goalkeeper.
2: I'm still not that convinced with Coleman taking crosses though. I think he's very hesitant sometimes. I feel like I've probably missed one of his better games because I know he got a lot of praise for his performance against Salford, which I wasn't at. But um, don't get me wrong, I'm not I'm not slating him or anything. I just think there is definitely a hesitancy to Coleman's game that I'm not. 100% sold on yet. Um, but obviously, we've, we've said a lot about the goalkeepers in the past and about the fact that if they were the finished article, they wouldn't be playing for Rochdale. Um, and I think that's the case for a couple of our centre-halves as well. Right, I'll come back to you. Um, I mean, they seem to be mentioned after every game at the minute. Uh, there's a few who have asked about them, but I guess the, the question from Scott was, uh, was Gerald Dorset or Sam Graham? And um, I guess the answer for me is neither. I don't know about you.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, I'd rather have Aaron Morley at centre-half again.
2: What have you made of the two of them this season?
0: I think I've made that known for a few weeks now, but I think they calamitous, disastrous, um, just very, very bad footballers. There were times on Saturday when Sam Gray was taking the ball off Coleman and mis-touched it. I think it happened two or three times, it's like... And I know there were no real danger, but, you know, give us a give me a break. You
1: no, know what, as well, they're, they're both not fit enough. They're not fit. There's the a few games there where I've noticed, last 15 minutes of the game, they look leggy as... The, the Barrow pitch was a bit heavy, but they were both struggling towards the end of the game at Barrow. Dorset did all right against Barrow, to be fair to him. Um, but, yeah, they both don't look fit enough. Dorset was struggling. Last 10 minutes on Saturday, he was struggling. He's te- he, you can tell when someone's tired when the technique is all over the show when they're just jogging. You know, they're making it look like a slow pace is really hard. And that was where Dorset was at. Um I I, I really don't like being critical, but I don't see any personality in him either. I don't see that kind of just you know we spoke about it a little bit previously, but
3: I just don't like they give a shit. I think if I'm choosing one or the other, I'm choosing Dorset over Graham. Um, I think he's more solid. I think neither of them are very good on the ball, um, as we've mentioned, and they both look clumsy. Dorset, and like in his first couple of games, Dorset, I thought I'd done really well for like sixty minutes, and then just had a mental five minutes where his where his head just went. Um, they are both very young as well. They are going to get—they are going to get better with, with experience. Same with Taylor as well. If I had to pick one, it'd be Darcy, I think.
2: Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Because I keep thinking about the players that we've let, we lost in the summer—Lund, Rathbone, Humphreys—being kind of the main three. But I feel like, to some extent, we've almost replaced them a little bit better than we have Osho and McShane. Who one of them was a low knee and one of them was a thirty-five-year-old who only played probably one in three or four games for us. That's that's kind of the gap between what we had and what we've got at the moment um at centre half. I agree with you before what you said, Chaff, about needing another centre half option. Because I wouldn't trust any of them in a back four at the moment. And I feel like that's something we need to we need to um move towards.
1: I, I, I personally think that that's a big difference between us being inconsistent and probably balancing out at mid-table and us actually pushing for the playoffs. I think, that, you know, like Rice said then about just kind of being clumsy on the ball and letting it roll under the feet a couple of times and whatnot, you know, it doesn't feel like any damage is being done when, you know, you're not kind of, you know, you're not losing possession or whatever. But those seconds that you lose in playing a bad pass slightly behind a player or just miscontrolling the ball ever so slightly stifles the entire momentum and flow. You know, those little moments, it slows the entire unit down.
2: Uh, Chaff, I'll come back to you on, on this next one. Um, Oliver asks, how have you found uh, the lone players that have come in making a difference to our squad? It was something that got mentioned on the forum by Dalai Lama as well. Um, yeah, it's kind of a mixed bag, isn't it, so far? Yeah, I think so.
3: I think we've seen glimpses uh, from Cashman. Um, I like him a lot. Um but I don't think he's a 90-minute player either. Um, but I think he's had a positive influence on this on the side. Um Dorset, we've we've mentioned at the moment, isn't, isn't a positive for me. Um, I, I'd go as far as to say Broadbent Bent isn't either. I've not seen anything from him. Um to suggest I know he scored uh, um where did he score? He scored recently, did In Swindon, was it? Um I know he scored in that game, but by all accounts, and I wasn't there, so I can't really comment, uh, by all accounts, he, he struggled other than the goal. Um, and I've just not... I've Stockdale singled him out when he signed him as, as being one that the fans would be excited to watch. And I've not seen it yet. Um, and given that he's due to go back, I think, in January, he's running out of time to show it. So... Yeah, that's a thumbs down from me From for Broadbent. Yeah, O'Keefe, obviously. Superb, brilliant signing. Um, really hope we make it permanent. Andrews, we've only seen briefly. Um, bit of a mixed bag. Took his goal really well against Northampton. Um, took his goals well in the Pizza Cup against Liverpool's under-8s. And yeah, he's he's a big presence. Um, but he's only let's his role is as being back up to Beasley, it. So I kind of always think loan players should strengthen your first team, um, as opposed to just being squad players. Um, so it's a, I think it's a real mixed bag from from our loan players. Um, and I've been looking to let at least one of them go back making one of them permanent and bringing in a couple
2: more, if we can, in January. Uh, one last kind of on-field question. I'll come to you on this one. Right, actually, I think we can all answer this one, but Gab Sutton has asked um, what, what our score for Stockdale would be out of 10 so far. He's going for a seven. Um, right, I'll come to you first on that. Um, I
0: think it's been very average. I'd go for between five and six, I think. I think on the whole recruitment has been relatively poor. I think there's probably been more poor signings than good ones for me. Um, And I think there's a stubbornness to the shape. I think we're pretty boring, despite creating a lot of chances according to the stats. So I'd, I'd go five or six so far. I understand it were difficult for him. Um, So I'm reluctant to go too hard too soon. But yeah, between a five and a six for me.
2: Uh, Luke?
1: Um, I will give him a seven today. I think if this was his second season with us, then I'd be quite negative about it. But I suppose it's just an appreciation for kind of what he came into, what he came into basically. Um, I think we're lucky that that we've kept on O'Connell um, and we're lucky that kind of Beasley's kind of sparing in the team relatively well. And but just the purely the amount of change that that's happened at the club on and off the pitch, um, I think that's kind of time in the bank as far as I'm concerned for Stockdale. Um I've seen some good patterns the way we've played uh, in 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 times in moments, we've looked really good. Um, and I think, you know, when there has been so much change, the hardest thing to to kind of secure is consistency. Um, so w- with that in mind, I'd, I'd give him a seven because, you know, whilst we're inconsistent, we, we are mid-table. And I think at the start of the season, I think what we were looking for is, is a, a season of consolidation. Um, and that's kind of what we're on path towards achieving. Um, but I think... You know it's all to do with time. If we didn't see the improvement, because Ryan makes a good point, there there are negatives and there are things to improve upon. Um, if we didn't see that, then you know you start questioning things a little bit more. But for me, a first seven through.
2: Um, chaff, what about you, mate?
3: Uh, I think I agree with every single word Luke's just said there. Um, I'd give him a seven. I think we have to take into consideration that we're not just rebuilding a side, we're rebuilding the club. And as a result of that, the amount of change that we've seen since the summer is unlike any other season that I've been watching Rochdale. So we've not just got a new management team. We've got, what is it, 10 new players. We've got a new chairman, five new directors and a whole different direction that the club's going in. And it's going to take time to to, to build what he wants to build. Um, I'm not even convinced that some of his very early signings would have been first-choice signings that he may well have thought he, he's got to get some players through the door. Um, and, and that's what we got at that time. Um, but I think he's done relatively well. I think there's... There's a question about over recruitment. I, I, I don't think his recruitment has been brilliant. I think it's been a very mixed bag. Um, and I'd agree with Ryan's point about the stubbornness of the, of the system. It's obviously a system that he thinks is working. He's a lot more qualified than us to make these decisions as well, i hasten to add. And I think, yeah, Rome wasn't built in a day. Um, he needs time. He's, it's his first proper job in management, uh, manager, manager's job. And my overall feeling is, I just I wanted to enjoy going to watch Rochdale again uh, after the last after last season and the season before, and I do. I, I, I enjoy it an awful lot more now. Um, we're three points off the playoffs. We're eight points off relegation you stop the season now it's a good season Um and then you build next season and it'll be that season that he gets judged on for me it'll be because you've, you've got to have that we, we saw it with Steve Park and we had improvement after improvement we saw it with Keith Hill um, and that's what you get judged on you get judged on where you are and then where you are further down the line and it's, it's got to improve and I think we'll see that given time, I think he's, yeah, a 7
0: out of 10 for me. I don't think he's, he's not done himself any favours with me. I'm sure it'll be similar with, with others as well, but with some of the things he's he's come out and said, obviously he keeps alluding to wanting to get promoted and that's the game. Um, that might still happen. So I'm reluctant to say we know we're near back because we're not, we're relatively close to the playoffs, like Chaff said it keeps going on about it so it keeps going in fans minds right that's going to happen and when you're losing games and being inconsistent i don't think it helps but i think when he came in and he, he said he's done a lot of research on league 2 and what it takes to be successful and he talked about the physicality and a couple of other things and you know needing to be flexible and you sort of look at it and you go he's not been flexible yet we're always the least physical team on the pitch by a country mile, um, and you know, there's just a couple of things that he said, and he said he's done his research, and it's it's not happened the way that he said it's going to. So that's that's put ill feeling in my mind.
3: Your point there about physicality, it's not like he's not addressed it, because he obviously saw last season's squad. He's brought in Joel Coleman, who's what six foot five.
0: It's not a mountain, it's, though, is He's it? not he's not a big lad. He's not commanding at crosses.
3: He's still a big lad. I, I he's a lot better, he's a lot more commanding than what than what we've had. Yeah. Um and yeah. Yeah. You, you you look at Taylor's six foot three, six foot four. Um Graham's a big lad. Dorset's built like a brick toilet. Um Josh Andrews is built like the undertaker. So I think he's addressed the physicality issue. We're just not yet seeing it in key areas. I think if you look in the middle of the park where you expect to see physicality, you've got Liam Kelly, who is basically the size of Danny DeVito, and you've got Alan Morley who doesn't um is not particularly brilliant defensively. And I think that's where you see it. Um where, where you, you don't see it, but you need to see it. And that's why I bring in a, a defensive midfielder. But I think he's at least address that issue even if we've not seen the results from it yet the, the the concern for
1: me on the more longer term side of things is we've not seen um, as a result of having the size of the squad that we we have um, and as, as possibly a result of the pressures that come with being a football manager and it being a results based business and all that lot um, the direction of the club I don't necessarily want to see change with regards to how we've survived. I touched upon it before around cup runs and selling players. Uh, but in order to sell players, we've got to develop them. In order to develop them, you've got to expose them. And people like Briley aren't getting a sniff. And Briley, by all accounts, isn't, wasn't too far away from kind of, he's been in around the first team squad now for a couple of seasons. So you kind of want to, I want to see people like that Get given the opportunity, even if it does weaken us as, as a team in the short term, because that can sometimes happen, can't it? It can you potentially weaken the team. Now maybe the rationale behind it is because we are so inconsistent because the amount of changes in throwing a youngster in there that might jeopardize the potential and it might jeopardize our results to a real bad kind of level. But thinking about the long term, we need to think about how we can bring players like Brayley and Grant back into that 11 because they're the ones that are going to be the sellable assets in years to come for us then to be sustainable because the one thing that we're all proud about and that we've wanted from the club is, is to be fan owned and all that lot but because of that we haven't got the sugar daddy have we which which is fine but we can't move away from that can we because I, mean, I imagine we still make a loss as a football club every year who's going to cover that we've got to expose the likes of
2: Briley and Grant's the first team, I think. I think that's a, yeah, a very valid point. Um, and what I would say is I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're not advocating for Briley to be starting every game, but if you're looking at someone like Broadbent, who we've said a couple of times here tonight, doesn't quite look up to it. Would that make a massive difference to our team if Briley was getting those minutes instead of Broadbent at the moment? I'm not sure it would. Um, and if it, if it would, I suspect it would be in a positive way, to be honest, from what I've seen so far. Um, I, I, I guess we, we're slowly running out of time, so I'm just going to give him a six out of ten, and we can move on from <laughs> we can move on from there because you lot of uh, hijacked that question for me. So uh, I'll give I'll give him a six out of ten. I think he's been. There are things that, there, that again I come back to those two games against Oldham and Crawley, and they're the two that have really put me on a downer um, on him at the moment. I've not really seen much of the the recent kind of better performances. Um, If I'm honest, the Sutton game, we very nearly threw away. Um, I wasn't at Barrow, I wasn't at the two away games when we picked up points at Swinham and Salford. So um, I'm not going to judge him too much on that. Uh, In terms of recruitment, again, I kind of echo what you guys have said in that there wasn't a lot of time. And I suspect within a year, when he knows which players are going to come available, um, that might improve. At the moment, six out of ten, I think he's doing a fair job fair to middling. I don't think this league is a good one, Um, and that's why I would possibly have hoped for more, because I do think that we've got enough quality in the squad to be pushing on for the playoffs. But, yeah, there are extenuating circumstances. That much is clear from what happened in the summer. And I think we all said at one point that we'd just be happy to be fan-owned and stay in the league. Uh, We've got one of those, it seems. Um, And I'm pretty sure we're going to get the other, so we can't be too um, too miserable with that uh, on, on the point of being a fan-owned club chaff. I'm going to um, come to you on this one, it's an anonymous question actually, um, so with the share issue nearing completion would we rather use some of the money raised to buy the shares back from Morton House um, for somewhere between the current value and their evaluation um, or let them sit on them indefinitely and constantly have you know, the threat of, of them taking over in the background. Um, you know, if, we, if the club were to buy some of those shares back, they could then resell them at a later date to get more money back in. So there is that. Um, obviously, we don't want to be um, rewarding Morton House and the people involved with them by buying back those shares. But as the question says, it is going to be a constant worry if they have a percentage of those shares in the background, even if the share issue means you know, it's not quite as as big a threat as it could have been a few months ago? It's a very, very good question.
3: And it's a very difficult question to answer because I get the whole point of uh, potentially buying them off Martin House because, again, it it makes the, the threat even narrower. But there's a big part of me that says, do not, under any circumstances, go into business with them at all, leave them to go and crawl back from under the rock that they came from. Um, they've been outed as being homophobic um, in, in meetings. They've been charged by the Football Association uh, for that. And who knows what else is to come? I don't see that being the last disciplinary action that we see their name or people who are linked to them being, being linked with. And there's a big part of me that says, don't go into business with them at all. Um, it'd be a massive red flag for me. Um, and at the moment we, because of the share issue, it's, it would now become very, very difficult for somebody to even, purchasing all of Martin House's shares to, to get anywhere close to to gaining control of the football club. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a very good question. I'm not fully qualified to answer it. I'd be interested to see what the trust would, what their answer would be to that. Um, but yeah, I'd be torn over that, I think.
2: Uh, Luke, another one kind of on the fan-owned front. Um, David asked, as as a fan-owned club with credible and trusted outside investors, what should be the on-pitch ambition? Uh, Bearing in mind, to increase crowds, we need an attractive brand of football and always look for progression. I think we should always strive to be a competitive League One club. Um, what, what What would your take on that be? I mean, being competitive League One club and fan-owned on the crowds that we have seems like a big ask but is it possible and what do we need to do to become that? Yeah, it's a big ask, but of course it's possible. We've, we've shown that it's possible twice
1: in in kind of, you know, recent times. So I think it's a fair ambition to have. I think a fair ambition is to be um, an established League One team. Um, you're, you're still going to be punching above your weight consistently. You know, things caught up with us, I think, in many respects. As soon as you make one, two, three, four bad decisions you're not far from the drop i think in league 1 um but that's got to be an ambition is to be an established league 1 football club and to enjoy the perks that come with that i think as a fan it's it's playing against big teams isn't it playing against you know going to big grounds and you know watching big you know having big followings come to come to the club as well so i think that's a fair um ambition to have i think we're a long way away from that um, in order to get to that to get to that stage, I think probably. I mean, this might sound "daft," but I think uh, "daft," but I think it is almost a five to ten year plan. That I know that might seem a bit wild, but we have to kind of we are going through that process of rebuilding, and going back to my previous point around uh, developing players, selling them on to then reinvest into the football club. I think that's we've got to kind of go through those cycles a little bit. You know, and that's almost like one little minor step back for two steps forward. You know, you keep doing it. You've got a culture then at the club, which is really important. You've got direction then as a football club, which is really important. It impacts on the pitch, off the pitch, that kind of thing. And with solid decision making and, and good leadership, I think you know that that can that is a fair ambition. Um, but that's what it's going to take, and it's going to take time. Um, so you need you need a few ingredients in that pot to all work together in tandem to get there, um, because financially we belong where we are. That's where we financially belong. But we know and we've seen it and we've supported um, this club being in League One and getting to League One and knowing it's possible. So yeah, that that's fair. That's a fair assessment.
2: I think my my one sort of playing devil's advocate with that would be, um, you know this. 23 teams in, in League 2 other than us that want to be there. Um, I don't think there'll be a team in League 2 that don't see themselves as a potential League 1 club. When we say League 1, we see that as almost our ceiling with a hope that one day we can maybe have a little uh, tilt at the Championship. But teams like Harrogate and Barrow even, who are probably the smallest in this league, will see League 1 as where they could be, looking at teams like Morecambe and even ourselves in recent years established, establishing ourselves there. So I don't like want the fan base as a whole to be kind of expectant of that i think that is a an achievable aim i don't like it when people get frustrated that it doesn't happen because really um we don't have the same resources that a lot of the clubs around us do um and kind of that expectation that's come from the fact that we've spent a lot of years in league one now i feel does lead to sort of unwarranted frustration at times already I've seen it this season um, even in the, the extenuating circumstances I've mentioned before um, I think like you say five to ten years have a plan in place give yourself time to get that plan in place and then allow it to be implemented and it will take time not just selling players like you say but also in terms of trying to increase attendances, things like that that doesn't happen overnight that's a long process and it will take time I think it can be done. I think people need to be patient if that's what the aim is going to be over the long term. Um, another question, kind of on a similar similar front to that, chap. I'll come back to you for this one. Um, Stacy asked. Um, it, there was a bit of a discussion with our, our friends over all day not We podcast talking about trying to improve the attendances and and the atmosphere at the ground. Um, I kind of. Ha- how can we how can we do that how can we improve the attendances in the atmosphere because like we say if we want to establish ourselves at a higher level then that's something that needs to happen isn't it
3: yeah it is improving attendances has always been an issue for rochdale for the for the 30 years i've been watching we've always needed bigger attendances and i genuinely think if you put if we we're in the premiership we probably still wouldn't fill our ground every week <clears throat> but i think we've i might be wrong in this but this is how it looks to me it looks like we've got an aging fan base um one that's very set in its ways and you you need to look towards getting youngsters in doing absolutely everything you can to keep them youngsters going um and they're going to be your next 50 years hopefully plus watching supporting rochdale and is enough being done to, to get them involved in the football club? I don't think there was. I think we've improved. Um to I think we've got a, a wide range of things that are that are happening now under the new regime that um that weren't happening previously. In terms of trying to get youngsters involved, um, and that's where the that's where the, the the future attendances will come from, and you've got to make it appealing to them. Um, quite how you do that, I'm not sure. I'm not certain. I'm not marketing person at all, so that's for other people to, to decide. But I think you've, you've got to get the youngsters in. Um, cost it comes down to cost, doesn't it? For for ninety percent of the the people of Rochdale, I would have thought. Um, it does for me. I get priced out of coming to, to some games. Um, so cost will always be an issue. In terms of atmosphere, um, I think it was, I, I've made this point hundreds of times previously, maybe not on the podcast, but to other people. And Reese um, mentioned it on Twitter this week. If you were to put, Sandy Lane and the Pearl Street into the Wilberts Lane, you would have effectively what is like an away atmosphere. Um, When we go away from home, we make loads of noise, especially bigger games. Um, I wasn't at Barrow, but games like um, when we used to go to Bury, when we've been to Oldham, um, we're generally a lot more noisier because we've got a wider range of supporters in a smaller space. So there's definitely food for thought in putting all of us into the, the Wilberts Lane stand, potentially even closing the Sandy Lane and putting away fans in the Pearl Street. Now, the issue that you've had, you have there, there's loads of different changeable issues there. You've got what happens if a massive a way of following comes in a cup tie. What what do you do then? Um what do you do with the Sandy Lane supporters that just will not go if they can't stand up? Um and again, cost. So that, that would be one way of doing it. Um yeah, let's just not have a drum. I don't I really don't want a drum. <laughs> and well, that's coming from somebody who used to have one and used to play it in the Sandy Lane. So yeah, there's there's different there's different thoughts behind it. There's different ways that we can probably improve it, but I'm not sure which one would work.
2: Yeah, all day long we actually asked if we we'd play the drum. Um, right, what do you reckon? Do you see yourself as the next Michael Campbell? Or I yeah. just I had to Google who that what what his name was by the way, just for you.
0: Don't tell lies. Um, but no, um, I don't want to drum either. I can't stand him. I think if you were doing one though, I don't know why people are calling for it in the And you're doing the upholstery where it's noisy, surely, as in the stands noisy and not the not the fans.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I personally like. I agree with you too. I wouldn't. I wouldn't want it. I didn't like it last time, and I just don't think it aids a good atmosphere. What about you, Luke? Uh, do you know? I
1: think it does, so I don't mind it. Like, I, yeah, I know, like people have that being import and all that lot, but I think it does at times um i think there's loads of initiatives into that that the club could kind of look at doing um to get more fans through the gates but i think there needs to be a, a bit of a budget in order to kind of do that you know so it depends how much the club's willing to invest um i think you have got to kind of really truly establish what you you know your demographic like do you go after like an age profile like chat saying in the same do you go after you know certain kind of you know, communities within the within the area, do you target that, that kind of thing? But I mean, one thing for me is I got proper hooked on Dale when I started going to away games. Now I know I appreciate you need to kind of all you know be hooked enough to kind of contemplate going to an away game and traveling, but that's what really got me into being kind of like a Diad Dale fan, going to the away matches—that was a special thing. And I know this is kind of putting money in another club's pocket, but maybe if the club could subsidise certain, maybe uh, away travel on the coaches to certain games where we might take a decent following, like a Bradford or that kind of that kind of game. Sometimes that might encourage you know your younger kind of teenagers to to kind of go on the, on the club coaches and experience an away day. You know, once you've experienced an away day, like again, it's only from my perspective, but I was really hooked then after my first away match. That was it, I was in 100%. Um, so if you're going to go and travel away, chances are you're going to come and watch them at home as well. So it's just an idea thinking out loud,
2: yeah. And I suspect there'd be a lot of stories that were similar to that as well, in terms of people getting hooked who maybe don't have that like same family connection that, that other people do come into the club and what have you. So yeah, that's fair enough. Um, one final question then, since we, we're kind of running out of time to do the normal game. It's one from our mate Josh, and he's asked, uh, what's everyone's favourite early noughties pop song? Ryan, right, I'm coming to you first for this one, mate.
0: Uh, don't know about early noughties, but noughties in general, I've, I can't split two. And I've gone Beyonce, Irreplaceable, or Taylor Swift, You Belong With Me, and I can't split them. Two excellent songs.
2: Beautiful. Uh Luke, go ahead, mate. Oh mate. Shaggy wasn't me. Oh, wow. Absolute banger. Uh Chaff, I'm gonna to come to you whilst that double check that that was definitely early notice. Oh, I think it was. I'm not sure now. Um Avril Lavigne,
3: Complicated and anything off Blink 182's Take Off Your Pants and Jacket album. Um Rise made a very good point about Taylor Swift. I'm a big fan of Taylor Swift. Fantastic. That um I don't th- I don't think it's early noughties though, but um that we are never getting back together. Is that would you class that as early noughties? Because if you yeah. do, that is an absolute banger as well.
0: I think that might have been 2010s, that one. I think oh. that was the 2011 album.
1: Right. S Club 7 ran the game back then. They <laughs> ran the game. <laughs>
2: i'm expecting a good um uh, away day playlist with all these in next time you're in the party car josh um for me i'm going murder on the dance floor by sophie alice oh, yeah. <laughs> and uh right if you're gonna go with beyonce you can't have you can't have anything other than crazy in love for me that is an absolute world-class song so yeah <laughs> I, I hope you're happy with those answers, Josh. Um, hope everyone's enjoyed the podcast I'm sorry that it's so long I'm sure you're sick of all of our voices by now so we'll just end it here uh, so all that's left for me to say is thanks for joining me Chaff yeah nice one Dean cheers cheers right. cheers Dean and cheers as always Luke cheers lads catch you all next time I hope for them
0: saw it with
3: him in there yeah I what to be done by the time Bake Off come on <laughs> <laughs>